Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Mora Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better, Tim. Could not be better. How are you today? Today, Lance, we are introducing our uh, live show that we had with the Prosecutors podcast from just last week. And uh, it made for an interesting conversation. So we're popping it up here on the podcast feed. So we hope you like it. Yep. We got the Prosecutors, Brett and Alice. They come with a uh, breath of fresh air in the Maura Murray community. They have a lot of good opinions. And you know what? They're wicked smart, Tim. They're, they are Harvard and Yale grads, uh, which my cap is off to them. I tip my hat to them for that. And I tip my hat to them for joining this community. It's a very honorable thing to do. 
Okay, everybody, and make sure to check us out tonight, Thursday night, August 13th. We're doing a live show, not necessarily a more Murray night, but, you know, feel free to bring your questions. Exactly. We usually have a guest, but uh, tonight we felt like uh, maybe Tim and I should just answer some questions from the audience. So the guest tonight is you. And I'm not talking to you, Tim. I'm talking to the royal you. Ah, okay. Well, that's you out there. So make sure to tune in tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's on Get Vocals. There is a link in the show notes. And make sure to check out the Prosecutor's Podcast and find them on Twitter. There are links for that as well. Thanks a lot for listening. Well, tonight is is a special night here for us, um, not just because I'm back here in Wormtown, but uh, but because we want to talk about more Murray. And those episodes were with with the prosecutors podcast were pretty compelling. And and like we said in the intro, Lance, it kind of they they bring like a vibe where it's like safe to talk about things again. You know, it, it was kind of uh, weird there for a while. And I think a lot of people felt this, too, out there in the community. It's Alice. How's it it's going? Alice, what's up? Sorry, uh, I, I kicked Brett off by accident, so he is actually creating an account to come on. So sorry. Uh, about that. <laughs> no worries. So Alice, we want to talk about Maura Murray tonight, and we were kind of just going over the recent episodes with you and Brett, and uh, and how did you think they went? Uh, I mean, thank you guys so much for having us. I thought it went great, um, but, uh, you know, I think everyone in the chat room may have some strong thoughts. I know that we may have said some things that were controversial. Um, I think that it was, at least Brett and I have been pretty consistent in our views um, uh, from our four episodes and kind of just expounding upon them with you all. Uh, so hopefully I'd, I'd love to hear dissenting thoughts. Uh, that's what lawyers do. We, we <laughs> debate all day long. Um, but what we really appreciated about you guys is um, we said this, you know, maybe people aren't asking the wrong right questions. And so I think it's great that people are asking different questions and asking them from different views. We all bring different backgrounds to any problem um, that we may encounter. And so just looking at this um, chat room, all of these people have different backgrounds and different viewpoints. And if we all ask the same question slightly differently, maybe we'll hit the nail on the head. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, and before we dig in any deeper on Maura Murray, I just want to point out that we've actually never seen you and Brett in the same room at the same time. And he popped off and then you came on. So I'm almost wondering if you're if you have a Brett mask on the back of your head. Yeah, definitely happening. Okay. <laughs> I so. think I think that's def uh, that's a theory on Reddit, I think. So. Uh... Oh. oh, there he oh, is. We just, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. wasn't just me throwing my voice the whole time. Wow. <laughs> hey, hey, Brett. They, uh, you, you, you total, totally ruined it. They thought that I had a Alice mask as Brett. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the the comment section was running wild with that, so we just uh, squashed that rumor <laughs> right away. Yeah, Sorry, I'm, I'm everybody. Sure. Sorry to blow up that conspiracy theory, but but gotta do what you I gotta do. Actually, do. Yeah, I do have a legit question. Um, you said uh, that you throw out some controversial ideas or or concepts in Moore's case in Moore's disappearance. Um. 
I, I don't even know if we asked this when we interviewed you, but it's been on my mind since that interview and since reading the uh, dialogue that's been happening on Twitter in the uh, interim. When you first discovered Moore's case, what were what were your initial thoughts and how have those developed? Uh, because you're you're relatively new to Moore's case. So how did you come up with your controversial notions or controversial ideas yeah i mean i guess we're relatively new to it as podcasters um you know the first time i heard about her case honestly i think i thought the same thing that i kind of think now that like i said in our podcast i changed my mind all the time which was that she wandered into the woods and and never made it out uh and then i read james renner's book and so then of course i was all about the tandem driver and then i thought eh, that doesn't make sense and so listening to you guys and then i thought she was murdered um you know the things i never thought the things I never thought, I never thought that she never left Massachusetts, for instance, you know, I think our most controversial thing is, is I've never been able to get over the Patrick Vassy stuff. I just can't, I just can't get past it. So I know a lot of people hate that theory and think it's stupid, but I've just never been able to let it go. And so otherwise I think we're, I think our views on Maura Murray are only controversial because they're pretty straightforward. And I think a lot of people don't like straightforward views uh, on Maura Murray or basically any other case they like the sexy they like to think there's something deeper you know and and when it comes to this case i actually think something weird may have happened but i think a lot of it is straightforward i was just going to add to what brett was saying is we didn't have kind of a preconceived notion of how the case should come out and so i mean that's technically how you're supposed to practice the law, right? You go where the evidence leads you, where procedure, where uh, rules of evidence lead you. And even if you don't like the answer, that is the answer if in fact you have followed all of the steps and that's where you end up. And so starting out at the beginning of the podcast, and I think we talk about this, we didn't know where we would end up in terms of our ultimate theory. It kind of changed as we talked about it with each other on the podcast and we got more information um, as people were writing in. So we ended up where we thought it was the only way it could end up based on the way we were discussing the case. And, you know, my theory changed between our last episode and our follow-up episodes because we talked to more people. You know, we talked to Julie and she she told us, yeah, more would get in the car with somebody. She would hitchhike with somebody. And that was not something I expected. That was the opposite, in fact, of what I had always heard, which was that the opinion of the family is that she wouldn't have gotten into a car and she wouldn't have hitchhiked. And she was very, I mean, when we asked her that, I was shocked. And she said, yeah, I think she would do that. And once I heard that, then the whole, you know, would she have gotten to a car that drove by? If she did that, would it have taken her some time to, to really weigh that person and decide whether they're dangerous, which goes against the idea that she disappeared so quickly. I mean, once, once I heard that, even even my theory changed then so i don't think i don't think either one of us are set in stone yeah there's some conjecture with that one though because i think on our panel uh at crimecon julie said the opposite um said that she didn't think mora would hitchhike and i don't know if more information has changed her view on that uh but as alice can confirm that is not what she told us you know, not not coming from whether she said that uh, or not, because we have no idea. We have just the information that she told us um, firsthand. But this isn't uncommon. Uh, now, this is a pretty, pretty distinct fact, but we see all the time in our jobs. Witnesses contradict themselves all the time, especially when there are years in between their their statements. Now, this is a little bit different because it's such a distinctive fact. It's not something like, you know, uh, it was raining versus it was misting. It's, you know, whether she would 
hitchhike or not. So um, I don't know what to say about that, except based on the best information we have, we only know what she told us. Yeah, I mean, maybe she was just giving it some some more thought. You know, I know as, as we all kind of said things, our opinions do change. And sometimes I know for me, uh, just it's just from rattling things around in my head without talking to anyone. They do help when, when you talk to people and especially Lance and bounce them off uh, people like you guys are friends, you know, but maybe that's just just a random inconsistency. Obviously, we don't think Julie's like is shady or anything like that. It's obviously um, some kind of misspeak or she changed her mind somewhere along the way. And I'll say this about Julie. They were obviously very close. And I think everybody would agree about that. But from talking to Julie, she was in the military. She'd been stationed in Korea recently. She'd only recently gotten back to the United States. There were a lot of things going on in Maura's life that Julie didn't know about. Julie didn't know about the credit card stuff. Right. I mean, she didn't learn about that until after uh, Mara disappeared. So I think it is possible, even though I don't know when your crime con was. I think it was only a couple of years ago. So it's a little weird that she would learn something in those couple of years that would change her mind so dramatically. But I, I do think Julie, at least, and I don't want to speak for her, but is open to sort of learning new things about Mara that she just didn't know before. Do you think that... Um some of the some of the passion and some of the controversy comes from questioning uh like when you question the family like no one's actually questioning the family here but by saying julie said one thing on this day and then a certain period of time later she said something that contradicted all of a sudden i feel like people start to believe that the four of us here are now saying julie's in on something and the the murrays are covering it up is that something that that you've experienced well, I mean, look, the thing I always try and remember, and I, and I don't want to speak for Alice, but I'm pretty sure she's in the same boat. The Murrays are victims in this too, right? It's not just Mara. Mara's not the only victim here. So I think it, you should be respectful of them and you should, you know, try to take into account their their feelings. But as I said, the last time we were all together, and, they, and they'll say, you know, Julie will say, look at everybody, right? I mean, she'll say that. And I think we have to put that into action. You, you do have to question everything. Now, I think you can very quickly move past the family and all this, um, but I don't think we can allow sort of fear of how the family might react to putting theories out there and letting people test them. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, that is a danger. Um, I think if it comes from a place of wanting to respect victims, that's a good thing, but we just can't let it sort of override our impulse to look deeper. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask kind of a, uh, a question that's going to come off as, Sounding like uh, being that conspiratorial person, but why would you say that the Murrays are the victims? Why can you so confidently say that the Murrays are the victims? I mean, just objectively, when we when we define victims, so there are sorry to to you know sound like a lawyer. There are victim statutes, and here the victim we know is Mora. She is missing. Her family. Um, because of her is also a victim. Um, her, her father has lost a daughter. Her siblings have lost a sibling. Um, and so they are considered the victims. Um, you know, and we have no evidence that they had anything to do with her. You know, we know that Julie was not even in the United States at the time. Um, her father was not, uh, from any of the evidence that we have on that road with her. And so he did not, you know, 
actually cause what happened right there. Now, whatever the theories are in terms of what he knew, that may be something else. But she is the, Mora is the victim and kind of by extension, so is her family. And I mean, just look at, uh, they are they are her representatives, right, in the media um, because she, Mora's not here to speak for herself. And so they are the ones who have to answer for her, who have to defend her. Um, and this is happening just as much to them as it, you know, as it did to Mora as well. Yeah, I totally get it. I wasn't I I certainly wasn't saying that they are responsible for Mora's disappearance and and I do understand that they're secondary victims uh in in every case in every um unsolved murder in any cold case. Uh I I I'm starting to wonder sometimes how fast not just with this particular case but how fast people automatically go to well the family, they're also victims. And, and it sort of takes some, takes some of the focus off of something that might be there. And I'm not, I'm not speaking specifically about Morris family. I'm not speaking specifically about the Murrays. But since the beginning of this, since, since Tim and I have started looking into this, it's always been you have to treat them a certain way. And I get it. Like, I really do. Is that the case with every single family? I mean, let me say this. I think just generally, I mean, number one, you know, generally speaking, the people closest to you are the ones who are most likely to murder you. So you do always have to think about that, right? Uh, I don't think we have that situation here. Generally speaking, though, I, I think I think actually you make a really good point, and that's that you you do have to be careful about family, and you do have to be careful about other victims. And we see this in case after case after case. Alice and I are doing the Ray Rivera case right now on Prosecutor's Pod, and. Allison, who everybody's seen on Unsolved Mysteries, she has a very firm view of what happened. And that view can actually be detrimental to getting to the truth. We did, uh, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane, where Diane Schuler uh, drove drunk and high the wrong way on, on a road and killed eight people. And her family has spent years trying to prove that she wasn't responsible for that. She was responsible for that. So to the extent, to the extent you're saying that you know, just because somebody's family and just because they're victims means you have to accede to their demands or do whatever they say or or no matter what, don't offend them. I, I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah, but we're not saying that about the Marius. Yeah. And, and also, I just want to say uh, justice for DJ Amanda is here and her brother is um, well, her, her, she, she lost her brother. Her brother uh, technically, I guess, <laughs> was uh, it was a victim of suicide, but uh, he, he was murdered. And she's saying she feels like a victim. I see I see her like we, we, we've spoken to her. We know her. Uh, and and I would never think that about someone like her, you know. And I'm not saying that I would think it about someone from like on the Murray's family, but they're like you, you use the um, Aunt Diane story. That is a crazy story. Is it Aunt Diane? Diane, right? Yeah. It, that is a crazy story. And you see the rest of the family just like full throttle. She was not responsible, but it's like, no, <laughs> I mean, there's tests that have been done on her. Like she's, she was, uh, that's a huge difference. Well, and then in the chat, Pelfrey, the dog, has made a point where even in this case, we see the problems that can come from family. And I know Fred regrets it deeply. And I've heard him say on interviews that he regrets it deeply. But the fact that one of the first things Fred said about Mora was that she may have done the old squall walk. She may have killed herself. I mean, that certainly affected the way the police looked at this case. I don't think it means that no one looked for Mora. I don't think it means they assumed she killed herself, but it certainly affected the way they looked at it. And it probably meant they didn't look as hard. And it certainly meant that they went in thinking we got a suicide here. You know, we're going to find this girl's dead body uh, a mile in the woods 
you know, with a bottle of vodka and sleeping pills or whatever. So, I mean, you're right. There is a danger there and you just have to be careful about it. When we talk about Mora's state of mind, I feel like we, I don't know, I want to say we gloss over this, but um, I was looking at some footage that we shot Lance from Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, back in 2015, uh, just last week. And um, looking at that intersection again, where Mora crashed her car at 3, 3.30 a.m. And it's it's just, it's a T-shaped intersection. It's like... I don't know what happened there. I mean, uh, it it makes me really sad to think about. I mean, I, I remember we once said, oh, maybe she fell asleep from the dorm, but it's like right there, you know? It's like, God, you could throw a stone from the dorm to that spot. Like, she didn't fall asleep. Like, what happened there? Was she, how, how upset was she and why? Like, she drove straight into the guardrail. She didn't turn her wheel, you know? Maybe, maybe she turned it a little bit, but what happened? Well, and I think that's... Uh... As we as we talked about sort of going back and starting at the beginning, and I think there's a lot of people on the internet doing that. We've been involved in a like a twenty five thousand tweet Twitter thread about this, sort of thinking about these things again critically. Everybody's thought about that accident and what it meant to more and what it meant tunnel or, or totaling. Excuse me, I know that's a that's a that's an issue for some people. Really damaging her dad's car. Um, and how that might have affected her. But I think you're absolutely right. Why did she get in that situation in the first place? I've always assumed it was alcohol, but I will tell you after, you know, hearing about that message from Kate and thinking about the fact that she went off with some guy, a lot of people have raised the possibility that she was assaulted. That would make sense as to why she was so upset and why she felt like she needed to go and see her father as soon as possible. Yep. And, you know, one thing that we really, um, when we were doing the podcast, we looked at the timeline very intensely, right? Uh, timeline, not just in terms of the crash that led to her disappearance, but the days leading up to it. And I think Brett notes in the episodes, it's really interesting. Maura doesn't seem to sleep for days before she goes missing. So something's happening. I, I assume she is someone who sleeps um, typically. So I don't think that that crash at 3.30 in the morning was necessarily one event that she was just upset then it seemed like there were there were days of stress leading up to it um and i agree with you know how do you t-bone something like that something that seems so obvious which is why we spent so and you guys have spent so much time questioning what was going on in her mind leading up to her going up to new hampshire we've been talking about the party and she left the party and maybe she was drunk uh which caused her to go straight through that um that t intersection and and hit the uh, guardrail but uh, James Renner talked to talked to the, the the police officer who arrived at the scene, and the police officer and James was a bit dramatic when he said, "Yeah, he hung up on me." Um, he probably hung up on him. Uh, but the police police officer said, when James asked him, "Why didn't you arrest her for drunk driving?" He said, "She wasn't drunk," and and I, I and I and I lean towards. A police officer arriving right outside of UMass Amherst, if he saw a young woman like Mora with a car that was damaged like that, he and she was drunk, he would have either taken her in or he would have taken her back to her dorm. I, I don't think he would have let the tow truck driver take her, like, hop in and, and go away with the car to her dad's motel. Just on her word. I mean, he has a strong incentive to say that right now. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> the officer? <laughs> the... Yeah. yeah, though, though, as I said, I agreed with you 100% on the podcast. I thought if he, she was drunk, he would have ticketed her. Alice actually disagreed with me on that and thought, you know, she's a pretty girl. Maybe he just, he cuts her a break. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, that's just based on my own experience being at a, a party school for undergrad, right? There was a lot of drunk driving, should not have happened. Um, but these were kind of uh, students that were driven and the police knew that a DUI or a DWI on their record could really hamper their, I mean, this is the definition of privilege, right? Uh, basically let them off. Um, and so I personally saw that in my undergrad experience. And I wondered, it's in the middle of the night. She's probably clearly very apologetic, very scared, probably shaking and crying. And he's like, let me give you a break. That, I, I could see that. And happening. I'm not saying the police officer's lying, but I also don't think, you know, after she goes missing, when somebody asks him, he's going to say, oh, yeah, man, she was fall down drunk, but I let her right. go anyway. You know, yeah. just- <laughs> he's not going to admit that no matter what. Um, But now I... I believe it is in Renner's book and maybe someone in the chat room can help me out here. Um, But I believe that it was in his book that she was going to face a reckless driving charge at some point. You you don't, that that's no, no good or. uh, He's so wrong wrong about that. You just got the wave off. You got the wave off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not waving off Tim. I'm waving off James because that's ridiculous. Like you don't, what does he think was going on? Does he think some un- in-depth, was the FBI coming in to investigate this wreck and determine whether or not it was reckless driving? If she was going to get reckless driving, he would have cited her that okay. day. The fact that he didn't. So it couldn't have been a situation where, okay, uh, you know, maybe she's a little intoxicated. She's um, not a bad person. Like she's apologetic. Um, she understands what happened. And he's like, okay, well, maybe you're a little tipsy, but, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna do you a favor and give you a reckless driving charge instead of a DUI. He may have done that, but he would have given her the reckless driving charge when I was, you know, during my illustrious career of prosecuting tickets. Um, you know, the way it would work, <laughs> the way it worked where I was, was if you had, they actually gave a ticket for every wreck. If you got in a wreck, you got a operating vehicle not under control. Uh, and that was what they did as sort of a placeholder for exactly the kind of situation you're talking about. And then you would show up in court. And if you had insurance and it wasn't, you know, like a big deal contested, we, we just dismissed it and you were fine. Right. But the thing is the police officer has to give you that ticket that night. He can't, he can't come back later. And moreover, if he was going to do that, that would all need to be in his report. He's not going to come back later and issue you that kind of citation, at least in my experience. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, Cause I think that's a really important point um, because of the credit card fraud that Mora had faced um, that, that charge. Um, she was on, I guess, some kind of like uh, pre-trial probation type of situation. And, um, and that reckless, or if it, if she was going to get a reckless driving charge, I believe uh, that could have been really bad. That, that, that could have brought that um, previous charge back and, and kept it on her record. And she actually would have had to have really faced that charge. You're right about that. And two points on that. I think what they did with her credit card was they continued it to a later date. And the idea is you continue the hearing to a later date. And if you come back and there's nothing, nothing else has happened, they go ahead and dismiss the charge. Right now. I I think the Saturday night thing, she was free and clear. But what I've always thought is that Monday night when she's in New Hampshire and she's wrecked her car and she's been drinking then I think you're 100% right. That would be in her mind. She would know, man, if the police show up and they find me and they realize I've been drinking, I'm in so much trouble. And like we said, uh, not only does she know she's been drinking, alcohol is kind of splattered all over the car. So even if she had not been drinking, someone who walked up to it probably could have seen the wine splashed up, could smell the wine if it had been splashed around and to um, automatically assume that she'd been drinking and she could think, I'm going to be in a world of hurt. I just want to... uh chime in with something that Brock wrote that um, I want to uh, 
uh, bring people's attention to before uh, it, it, I forget about it. He said, everyone has three lives. I thought it was pretty interesting, public, private, and secret. And there's a difference between a private life and a secret life because a private life is something that you do personally outside of maybe your work. So your your podcast could be your private life. This is what I do in my private life outside of uh, being a, a prosecutor. But then there's the secret life. And I think it doesn't just apply to Mora in this case. It applies to the police officer that stopped her that night. Um, and, you know, that was kind of my question, which was, uh, why would somebody say, had she been drinking, I would have arrested her? You know, so then we, then we flush out those ideas. Um, and this is all inspired by what you said, Alice, which is, maybe we're not asking the right questions and maybe we should stop being afraid of sounding like we're asking a dumb question because then you can flush it out and you never know what, what might happen. And Moore's secret life is none of our business. And, and, but it does lead to, it's almost like we've forced it to be our business, right? Because it, it, it will probably lead to why she was going up there in the first place. Is that, is that something you agree with? Yeah, I do, actually. And that's why I've always thought what happened in UMass matters. That's why I've always disagreed with her father on that. The, the thing that's, that's always struck me as strange, and there was some discussion about this on Reddit today, and there's been discussion about this on Twitter, is the fact that it seems like her family was looking for her, you know, and, and her boyfriend and his family were looking for her. But it doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem with the track team took some time off to go up there and, and, and look in the woods for her. It doesn't seem like her friends took weekends to drive up and, and see if they could find her. And I think Mora's life at UMass is interesting beyond just a few events we know about. Uh, what kind of life did she have? I mean, did she have any real friends? Was she, was she, was she a really isolated person? You know, was she a sad person? Um, these, are all, these are all things that I think would be interesting to know as well. And I feel like we just don't have a very deep understanding of who Mora was or what she was going through at the time. Yeah, this is a great point. We've, we've had this conversation recently, and we're like, I, Mora was carpooling to clinicals. How have we never heard from someone who was in that carpool? How is that possible that we have not heard from Kate or Sarah or anybody on the track team besides Aaron Larkin, who God knows? I mean, you know, if you were on the track team and you had no idea who, who Mora Murray was, but she went missing, wouldn't you want to go look for her? I mean, ju just out of sort of camaraderie with your, your track team, or if you were in the nursing program, wouldn't you want to go look for? If something like that happened to somebody in your orbit, you know, like if somebody in the court where we worked, husband died, right? We would send them a card, right? We would send a card, even if we didn't know them. It's just, there's this, it strikes me as strange. And maybe I'm completely wrong about this. Maybe they all did go up there. You know, maybe the track team did a grid search of the woods. I don't know, but it certainly seems like none of that happened. And that's always been something that has just rubbed me the wrong On way. On that, you have Mora's boyfriend at the time, uh, Bill, who went, he, like, jumped through flaming hoops to get out of, uh, to, to get out of uh, being at uh, Fort Sill, right? He, he jumped through hoops. You, you, there's no way. I mean, we've talked to him. We've talked to other people who have experience with this. His girlfriend, not his fiance, not his wife, not his sister, not his mother, his girlfriend is missing for like a day. I mean, you could probably say your girlfriend's been missing for like hours. And and now it's an it's an emergency for you to get out of here. You're 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 a cadet here. Like you're you have a responsibility here. He had to personally call his superiors. And he was calling 
I'm not throwing shade at Bill. I'm saying what he did to get out of there was impressive to get out of being at Fort Sill to go look for his girlfriend who had only been missing for slightly longer than a day. And he's calling Kate. He, we, we've seen the, the phone records. Like he's calling her friends, calling dorms, calling cell phones. How are they not up there looking? Like how, how, and maybe they were, and we just don't know. But where did they go? Where, where did all of these people go? Why, you know, everyone's talking about having to, we're all in this for Maura's memory and, and for the family and to bring closure. We're fucking strangers to the whole thing. And, 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 and you have people who are right in the middle of it who are, who are silent. Like, what is going on? I think that, yes, exactly. Where is everybody? No, I was thinking exactly that today. Like, right now, there's all these people who want to find out what happened to Maura. And we're all people who never knew her, never met her. But the, the, the people who should have wanted to find her right then and maybe could have made a difference very early on. It doesn't seem like they had any interest in finding her. And, and I just, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. And I mean, I don't have any answers for you. Nobody does because to this day, these people refuse to talk. And I don't think we can just blame James Renner for that. It wasn't James Renner's fault that Kate apparently was not up in New Hampshire looking for, for Maura, whatever, whatever Kate may blame James Renner for now. Um, and I, I have no answer for you. I mean, look, I I know the conspiracy folks, and they know who they are, <laughs> don't like me because they think I'm not very conspiracy-oriented, but the way the friends acted is enough to have me like down the <laughs> I-know-what-you-did-last-summer road where, where anything is possible. So like the non-conspiratorial reason, and I, I completely agree with you guys. I mean, I have talked about how, you know, friend of a friend of a friend, something happens to them and I'm so deeply affected and, it, you know, I, I want to join GoFundMe, for GoFundMe's and whatnot. But my one thought is why, why is no one talking about her? Why did no one go up there? And maybe it's because those who were supposed to be closest to her, whether it be the track team, whether it be the nursing school, maybe felt guilty that they didn't know more about her. And I don't think it's necessarily the friends or the classmates or the track teammates fault, but you know, when, uh, you're supposed to know more about someone and and you don't, you start to question as if it's you. But in this case, it kind of seems like it's on Maura's end, that for some reason she has kept her secret life. All of our secret lives are different varying degrees of secret, right? I think Maura's secret life was very, very, very secret. And maybe when this all exploded into, you know, into the news, onto campus news, maybe those who were supposed to be close to her thought, geez, is it me? Is something wrong with me that I was on a track team with her, that I shared a car with her every Monday to go to clinicals? And I don't know more about her beyond her name and maybe that she has a couple siblings. Um, and there may be some guilt coming from there. And at the beginning, when they didn't realize that they were not alone, that in fact, everyone yeah. felt the same thing. No, no, no. But that's still a story to tell, you know, and, and I really like what you said on the episode uh, with, with us recently, Alice, um, you were talking about how mystery, uh, how there's a lot of mysteries here. And if everyone ha puts out what they know, maybe some of these dots can actually be connected because there's too many mysteries for them to all actually like be part of the mystery. You know, it doesn't make sense. Sorry, I'm getting a little fired up here. <laughs> well, I mean, could it could it simply be that I, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but you said maybe Maura's secrets are so, her secret life is so secret that, um, you know, well, you know, maybe she just had such a secret life, right? Or could it be the, what What are your feelings on, the, uh, on it being the other way? Like, maybe it was just a mundane life 
and she didn't stand out and she didn't do anything that was um, noteworthy in the time that she spent at UMass that separated her from uh, other people. But, you know, maybe maybe that's the case. I, I, I was I it's hard for me not to jump down your throat on this one. She was extraordinary. She was incredible. She set records. Sorry, uh, she said she said not she so said track college. Yeah, but sorry, Just, she said track records at UMass. Not at UMass, no. Right, right. That's what I meant. Like maybe her existence at UMass was so mundane in a college that has uh, thousands of people. Maybe, maybe you know, someone says at one time, "Oh, well, Kate was her closest friend," but you're talking about it being relative. Like Kate was her closest friend because she ran with her on the track team for a little bit. Maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe there isn't something so, you know, eyes wide shut about everything. And her track, you know, her track time probably went down because she was smoking all those cigarettes, you know? I mean, who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, look, I mean, it's certainly the case. Maura, she transferred into UMass. I'm sure that was a difficult situation. She, she transferred into the track team. I'm sure that was a difficult situation. And, and I don't know. I mean, I've heard people say that Maura was really happy at UMass. But then, you know, maybe the reason her room is packed up, and I know people disagree to the extent it was packed up, maybe she was thinking about leaving. I don't know. I don't know. But we would know more if there was anybody at UMass who seemed like they knew anything about Mora who could tell us these things. So I'll push back a little bit just from an investigative standpoint. You know, prosecutors, we work with law enforcement to investigate people. And typically, even if you are absolutely average right middle of the pack nothing extraordinary about you which honestly is most people that's why there's a bell curve the majority of people fall into the the middle mundane or average doesn't necessarily mean secretive in fact all of us live very public lives you may not know it but if you are being watched and someone is going to notice you you may not know it but maybe it's your garbage man who notices the way you always pull out your garbage can and is like man that's the one who always puts it in a place that i don't like we're all being observed at all times what i have found in the investigative world is it actually takes effort for people not to know about you right and so being average being mundane doesn't equate with uh being unnoticed being unnoticed in my experiences you're taking steps to keep that life of yours Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.